0: Good day nerds this is megan coming at you with another cantina conversation today we have got nuzo ono talking about her latest release dance for the dead Uh, that book is available now um i really enjoyed talking to nuzo about just in general about um the african horror genre and what draws her to it i i love this book so much and i really don't like reading horror so um that should say some things um without further ado here is nuzo Today, we've got Nuzo Ono. We're talking about her recent release, Dance for the Dead. It's available now. Nuzo, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. And, you know, we're different parts of the world, but we're making it happen. And, um, you know, I really did enjoy this story. So I'm excited to to chat a little bit more about it today.
1: Thank you, Megan, for having me on your podcast. Really uh, appreciate being here with you. Thank you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So to get started, um, can you provide like a brief summary of the book? My, my review is uh, available now, but for those who haven't had a chance to um, check it out.
1: Okay. A Dance for the Dead is an African horror story about the tragic fate of two brothers who are both princes in a kingdom set in a very early period of African history, you know, when human sacrifices to the gods and cannibalism existed. So these two brothers soon find themselves at the mercy of the treacherous manipulations of those they trust the most. The younger prince, Ife, well, he's a dancer and an alcoholic, while his brother, Dk is the heir to the throne and the leader of the fearsome warrior called Yogumi. So Ife, the dancer prince, is tricked by his best friend to unwittingly betray his big brother. And as a result, Dk ends up inside the forbidden shrine to the gods And overnight, he becomes an outcast in the kingdom. So to regain his freedom and his former exalted status, Dike must make a dangerous journey to the realm of the ancestors. This is a journey that could either lead to his death or return him to his former glory. So while the evil witch doctor poses an obstacle, Dike is helped by the vengeful ghost of his slave girl, uh, Chicken Legs, who was sacrificed to the gods as a result of the false prophecy of that lecherous which doctor whose sexual advances she's be rebuffed before. So as the blurb states, A Dance for the Dead is an African horror tale of sibling betrayal, dark rituals, malevolent curses and supernatural vengeance. And I can't wait for readers to discover this new horror thrill just as you did
0: yeah absolutely i did yeah like i said i i don't i don't like being scared but and i um had never this is the first like african like horror like that subcategory um piece that uh, in the genre that i've read too and i really yeah i didn't know what to expect but i i i really enjoyed it i think maybe if the only thing i was expecting it was maybe to be a bit darker but i think maybe because i was like on, on edge a little bit i think i was just kind of expecting darker but it would it was very appropriate the amount of like eeriness because there are there are different ways you can go with horror right it's yeah. there's different ways that you can kind of fall um within that style and so yeah maybe i was like kind of on edge a little bit and then i was yeah. like oh okay like <laughs>
1: i know exactly what you mean i always say to myself Sometimes you can go very graphic. All the times you can go a bit psychological. All Mm -hmm. the times you can go, you know, through different routes. And I always say, uh, African horror—you can get everything from it. Mm -hmm. And so, this particular one, I I wanted the brothers, the character, you know, the character development and building was very important for me, yeah, because it's the story of these two brothers who are so intrinsically. You know, their bond is so strong that you can't tell the story of one without the other. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in the process, you bring in all these natural elements and to to sort of weave in the horror into it. It's a ghost story. I always say to everybody, my stories are always the same stories, ghost stories about ghosts with unfinished business, vengeful ghosts. And um, I think A Dance for the Dead sort of tended to go down that same route.
0: Yeah, for sure. It's, yeah, kind of like how I, like, I like how you mentioned that you articulated it wonderfully where, yeah, there are different routes that you can take and it does seem like you got a little bit of everything and you paced it really well also because I, I just, like a lot of the, it's not like a lot of the action in the sense of like, I don't know if you're thinking of like fast paced, but there, like, there's enough action, and and just all of it was so interesting to me. Thank um you. So Can you go over your background a little bit? Because you have a few a few books published, and they they tend to f- kind of fall in line with that genre. So, like, kind of go into your background and maybe what brought you to develop a dance for the dead.
1: All right. Well, I started writing African horror after I returned to my old university, Warwick University, here in the UK to um, pursue a master's degree in writing, you know, when you have a midlife crisis and you're like, (laughs) "What what am I going to do? Let's try and become a writer and do that thing you've always wanted to do. I mean, I was like (laughs) practically the oldest in the class, you know, being 50 years. Um, So by the time I finished, I began publishing my first, you know, uh, novella, my first novel collection, short stories, The Reluctant Dead. And then I published some novellas and collections and then novels. So A Dance for the Dead was actually written five years ago. You okay. know? And it, yeah, it's a miracle it's taken this long for it to be published <laughs> by the amazing Stygian Sky Media. I mean, they gave me a book cover to die for, so I'm eternally grateful to them. Yeah. You know? And um, in terms of developing the book, there was no specific event or reason I just woke up one day with this recurrent imagery in my mind of a joyful dancing young man. Over and over, I would see him dancing barefooted in the middle of a crowded square. His face sort of lit up up in unbridled joy, you know. And um, Mm -hmm. so so you can say that it was my character, the young prince Ife, you know, the dancing prince, that first came to me with this story. And I saw Ife, I saw him so vividly in his tall and lanky handsomeness. I heard his voice, his infectious laughter while dancing. (laughs) I felt his harmless energy, an easy charm, and everything about him pulled me. And in that minute, I knew I had to write his story. So Mm -hmm. I started out, you know, writing about Ifer and his dancing. I had no idea where the story was going. I just knew I had to write about him because that image of him dancing so happily refused to leave my head. And at that point, he didn't even have a brother, you know, Um, Mm. But once I began writing out of nowhere, Prince Dike, his older brother, appeared into the narrative and suddenly his voice became louder than if his own. And he was sort of telling me his tragic story and the terrible price of his extreme hubris and basically the rise and fall of a great warrior. And at Mm. that point, I recalled the, you know, the vile Osu slave caste system, which is practiced in some parts of my Igbo community in old Biafra. Where people are deemed to be slaves to the gods and become social pariahs as a result, and um, it's a very you know nasty vile practice we have back home. So I felt such a fate would be the only way to destroy this powerful warrior prince who had so rudely you know come into my story about his joyful dancing brother <laughs> with his typical arrogance. So it was also an opportunity, of course, to bring this odious practice to light outside the local communities where they take place. So as you can see, it was Prince Ife that I first loved. It was his voice I had for weeks. And I didn't want to write about DK. But somehow, as the story began to write itself, I realized that without DK, there would be no Ife. The Brothers Mm. Bond, as I said, was so strong that their stories needed to be told together. So mm, I finally sort of made my peace with his DK and opened up myself <laughs> to hear his story, you know, and coupled with a feisty young woman, you know, between them, big bosom. So voila, that's what the Dead was born.
0: Yeah, that's amazing that it started out um, as Ife, and he he just he yeah he wouldn't he wouldn't leave you alone. He was he was <laughs> Ife.
1: He was Ife. I thought I was just gonna write about this dancing prince. He was just there over and over. And somehow I just don't know how DK came into the story. You know? Yeah,
0: yeah. I think that <laughs> happens a lot with um, some authors when they're developing a story. Something will just show up, and then you can't imagine not having yes. not having them.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, you write yeah. as well, don't you? I'm sure you must have experienced it. You know you start off with something and then something else creeps in and then
0: (laughs) yeah it's it's common no because i when i speak to authors about their work that seems um that happens all the time where you know it was like oh suddenly there was a my character had a dog and now i can't imagine them not being a dog owner it was (laughs) like it just turns out you know to be such an important piece and with the with the two brothers that's um no that's really fascinating you know, you're labeled as like the queen of African horror, which I, I would agree with. So um, what draws you to that genre? Have you dabbled into other genres? Would you like to dabble into other genres? Uh, what, what draws you to that specifically? Uh,
1: well, from childhood... I was always drawn to the tales by moonlight stories we enjoyed as children. You know, we would Mm -hmm. would sit us around the circle and an adult would sit down there telling us all these stories. And those tales always featured predominantly terrifying ghosts and powerful deities and witch doctors and evil witches and wicked stepmothers and stupendous transmogrifications, you know, and clever animals and a great deal of fantastical magic you can imagine. So when I, Finally read my first horror book, which was the famous novel um, by, it's called A Wine Drinkard by the Nigerian author of Emostutwola. I sort of knew this is it for me, you know. And so mm-hmm. being particularly drawn to ghost stories during those early tales by Moonlight Sessions, it was only natural that, you know, my writing would follow the same trajectory. Also, coming from a culture where we bury our dead inside our compound or inside our houses, I sort of grew up surrounded by graves of countless family members in our back garden. Mm -hmm. And these days, you know, I've got my mom, my dad, my brother, sister, niece, nephew, uncles, they're all back there in the graves, you know, with the rest of my um, ancestors back Mm -hmm. in old Biafra. So naturally growing up, there was this morbid fascination with their graves and their ghosts. And then, that's something that's never left me, which is why my day job today is um a civil funeral celebrant, you know, where oh, okay. I conduct religious burials for the dead. So you'll find that my stories are always, as I said in the main, about vengeful ghosts and as I've said in some old interviews. African ghosts always have an agenda. They are not like Western (laughs) ghosts who just appear before people for no reason other than to frighten (laughs) them, you know, or just to flash themselves for the heck of it. (laughs) The kind of death and the kind of burial that you're given often determine the kind of ghosts that you'll get haunting you. So, for instance, those whose corpses are discarded inside the evil forest because they are considered cursed for some reason or the other, they will return as ghosts with soured souls, full of rage Mm. and vengeance and posing a deadly threat to the living. So with all these, you know, how can I not write anything else but my beloved African horror stories? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. I could see that. That's like fascinating that for those like communities or for your, your family members who are um, still back there are like, I imagine that like the energy around that place, like where you still have your loved ones buried, like so close by, I bet the energy there is a little, um, you could kind of feel it, right? Or how, how does oh to- gosh! Yeah. You
1: can definitely feel it. We grew up, everyone grew up saying the house we grew up in was haunted. I believe yeah. it was haunted. We all sort of each, when I talk to my brothers and my sisters, there's every one of them had experienced a kind of a, Wanting, you know, uh, some manifestations or the other, and I think being in that house, knowing the history of the house, and being surrounded by so much death and graves and everything and stories, you know, everybody tells Vivi the stories. You, you, you sort mm-hmm. of feel the energy, pulses. You step into the house. It's a very old house. The house was built, I think, in nineteen twenty something. So it's um, it's over a hundred years old. So it's a very old house and mm. you just come into there and you feel the energy. You know, I was lucky. I went back in 2016 to bury my mom and I ended up, I entered the house again and the energy was still there. You just mm. feel the presence of everyone that's ever lived there and stepped out.
0: Yeah. That's, that's so interesting. I, yeah. I, cause I don't know, I've, I've been to like. Just a couple of places. Like for example, when I was at um I was in Germany, I went to like I mean, this is a very like drastic example, but when I went to visit like one of the concentration camps on a tour and it was just like I could sense like the energy there. It was like eerie and but it's like this like huge looming feeling of like respect too. Like I just like I couldn't help but feel respect yes. for like what happened there and i it's, it's it's crazy it's like it's like you could definitely feel that energy so that's why i imagine how it is back at you know back at home for you if, if you know if that's just the custom of having your your loved ones buried so near i'm at yeah i could sh- i feel like you could just like you could feel it and
1: oh megan you can't compare it to what you experienced. do you know that is my one of my biggest wishes, but at the same time, my biggest fears. I'm one mm. of these people, I, I absorb energy. Wherever I am, I'm like a sponge. I absorb pain, yeah. <laughs> you know. And if I ever went to where you just went to in Germany, I think the first thing I'll do is I'll start crying. I, I, yeah. I just, I just come in on tears because I, I know I will absorb the pain. The, it's unimaginable where you went to. I don't know how you managed to go. I, I admire people that go to such places of extreme anguish and they Mm -hmm. come out because no matter what you do you will absorb the pain the horror the trauma that took place there
0: yeah it was yeah it wasn't it was it was weird because like i wasn't you know i was there because i was like interested in in checking it out but also it was just like i didn't anticipate feeling like such a significance, like shift in you know what did you do so, in
1: the first place did you just sort of wake up and say i want to go to a concentration
0: oh camp? no so i was tagged my my husband was going there for work and i was tagging along and so i was <sighs> um thinking of activities to do while he was working during the day and um so i went like in a bunch of like i went to museums and tours and and just to take up my time so that um but i felt like i had you know i had to to check yes. it out i had to go there and visit and see like while I was there, you know, I felt like it was a, a must, a must experience, um, yes. you know, activity.
1: Oh gosh, you know, I don't even want to think about it. I think I'll be, I would love to, but I'll be terrified. You but yeah, be you might
0: have to just like, yeah, prepare yourself. For like... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it is like, yeah, from. If you're definitely if you could if you have experience like if you have an opportunity i I, I recommend it, but yeah, i do, I guess brace yourself because <laughs> yeah. if, if you feel like you you feel it so strongly, yeah, for sure. so what was like your research process involved with um developing a dance for the dead? Is it do you have like a research process for when you tackle a new project or like what were like the most fascinating things that you learned during um putting putting it all together? Well,
1: there wasn't any research per se, because, as I said, I'm writing of a culture that's rooted in my DNA. and experience,
0: Right, right. You know, yeah.
1: so I find I rarely need to do much research, except at times looking for igbo proverbs, you know, or, mm. reading up on, you know, like the proverb you saw at the beginning of the story, when a man's thing grows too big for his loincloths. Don't be surprised if a monkey mistakes it for his banana. Yeah. We, we we tend to use a lot of proverbs when we talk and I've forgotten quite a few of them. So I tend to go research to find the appropriate proverbs to apply to the speech, you know, the dialogue when my um, characters are speaking. Or I also sort of read up on some of the attributes of African deities and the case um, the main research I did for a dance for the dead was reading up on caste systems, both in Africa and outside Africa. And I will tell you, I was stunned to see the terrible similarities in this vile practice across all the countries they existed. You know, such as mm. India, Pakistan, Egypt, Morocco, you know, to mention a few. So mm. it, I find it shocking to this day and age that we are talking Black Lives Matter, we are fighting mm. racism and discrimination. And then many black and brown communities inflict the same evil on their own kin, on that excuse of culture. So, you know, A Dance for the Dead highlights this odious cultural practice within, you know, the fictitious and supernatural context. But otherwise, hardly any research was needed. Mm -hmm. Just like in my other books, I rarely need to do any research. I just get the idea or hear the voice or hear the story and I run with it.
0: Right, <laughs> think it's funny. I even
1: I did a tweet yesterday, and I said in my tweet, I think there must be something in our African DNA that gives us the secret of um, our race. Because I watched Black um, Panther yesterday,
0: okay, and in the scene,
1: they had fed somebody the black herbs for them to journey to the land of the ancestors. Mm-hmm. And um, I said to myself, "Oh my gosh, I have that in my book. And that's for the dead, you know, yeah. where somebody has fed the black herb in order to journey to the land of the ancestors. And that was just yeah. from my imagination. I didn't need to read that. I didn't know anything about that. And here I am seeing exactly the same thing in Black Panther.
0: And yeah. Think, hmm, <laughs>
1: there must be something a subconscious in the black DNA that tells us secrets we don't even know.
0: You right? Know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's that's wild. That's crazy that. Yeah, there must be. Yeah, you're absolutely right. There must be something that just yeah. kind of it's in the the common knowledge. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> somehow a
1: sort of, on subconscious common knowledge, we don't know and we tap into it.
0: Yeah. Because
1: when when I write, sometimes I finish writing and I say to myself, "Ooh, where did that idea come from? Where did all that come from? Where did you think of that? You know?" <laughs> but then, okay, whatever, we just write it.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. So, you you said you finished this about five years ago. Is that like common with a lot of your other pieces? How did your experience, you know, developing this book differ from like the other works that you've done? Um,
1: No difference of such. I mean, I wrote it just as I wrote all my other books, sort of following Mm -hmm. the dictates of my characters. When writing, I don't do any coded coded structures, you know, plotting the way I was taught at <laughs> university when I was doing my degree. Right. So, yeah, I know many writers use that method, but it just doesn't work for me. So my, my writing isn't planned. You know, it's I don't do anything like writing 2,000 words or whatever a day. Yeah, I, I'm basically what I call a freestyle writer. And I write when the characters physically harass me into doing it. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's the characters I hear and connect with before any other... Aspect of the story. So once that happens, then boom, I start writing. And once I start writing the story, I could do a marathon session for like 20 hours without sleep over several oh, wow. days. Yep, till I'm totally drained. I mean, I'll be yeah. socializing, I won't even eat, nothing. And then I might leave the story at whatever point it is for several weeks or even months. And in between that time, if another story inspiration comes, I'll abandon that story and I'll start writing a new one. So, for instance, I completed two (laughs) novellas. I did two novellas and multiple short stories for several anthologies while I was writing A Dance for the Dead. Okay. I've done with my other stories. And then when I write, I will sort of play a repeat loop of a particular song I listen to when I'm writing a novel. Oh, okay. I find each story always demands a particular piece of music for me, which I listen to. Right to the end of that story And then I will never ever play that song again Done So for a dance for the dead I know I listened non-stop to Daniel I don't know if you know Daniel by Elton John Daniel You are (laughs) Yes, I was playing it over And over I'm not sure I'll ever listen to that poor song again At least not in a very long
0: time (laughs)
1: Yeah. But it's like is you, actually you've exhausted helped. it.
0: Like, yeah. Yes, I
1: exhausted <laughs> it. But it helped build that, you know, ambience, that energy, that environment, everything I needed to write the story. Yeah. You know. So um, yeah. yeah, I mean I remember when I was writing our our bones shall rise again, I kept pr- playing Billy Joel's Goodbye Saigon. And we okay. would all go down together yeah <laughs> and that used to be my favorite song i never played it again you
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. 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 <laughs> so that's what it does when you write these stories so that's what the day i wrote it exactly the way i write all the other ones the same format haphazardly that's why it takes me a year
0: to finish a story at least one year Oh, because, that's so funny. Well, because you—you really- you either like you keep getting pulled away, or you have to like exactly. get the—you the, have to get in the zone and and make it happen.
1: Exactly, exactly. I yeah. just think if it's not there, leave it, go away, come back, and you start <laughs> everything you've written. It will take you like two weeks to reread everything you've written, so you remember the story. And then- right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, oh that's funny that's awesome I know. do you have any other go-tos for when you need to get into the zone as far as uh music
1: uh not just music i would go read that's why i love short stories you know yeah Um, i would read short stories in between especially when i get to the mid part of the book while i'm worrying that the pace may drag or you mm. know things are not moving then i would leave it Go read a short story. I mean, short stories, you can read them in an hour or two. Right. But once you've done that, you sort of get, you know, inspire the game, you get ideas. Or I watch a film, you know, not a horror film. Okay. I don't yeah. like horror films. <laughs> I do not like horror films that terrify me. Um, yeah. Unless they are black or white ones, you know. Um, oh, okay. Twilight zones and tales from the unexpected. And um, the, the nice, easy ones. So, I would watch yeah. <laughs> that and then I would come back feeling inspired and set my head in the mode of film. I said to myself, See the story as if you're watching it in a movie. And then suddenly things become brighter. Things pick up, you know, this better energy. And I'm able to write again and pick up the energy for that midsection of the book before we okay. get to the end. Yeah. You yeah. know, so I do that a lot or I go visit you know, graveyard, uh, church graveyard. I love going oh. to church graveyard. There's something about gravestones and reading all the epitaphs and all the little writings and all these old toppling gravestones. You read a lot. <laughs> you get the energy. You
0: feel yeah. The yeah, yeah. I could see how that like sets, yeah, it gets you in the zone, how it sets the vibe and just maybe get a little more in tune with with the you know the energy that you're trying to muster up in the book exactly exactly that's so fun <laughs> though that They're just like, well, uh, this isn't coming to me right now, but this other short piece is right now. So you'll just get distracted, like, well, I'm going to work on this.
1: (laughs) I said to writers, make short stories your best friends, honestly. yeah, There is nothing (laughs) for short stories if you're writing a novel. You need them. You need them.
0: Oh, that's interesting. (laughs) That's, hey, whatever works, right? yeah exactly you know? <laughs> <laughs> um so this is a uh, like a two part question. So what were the most um challenging parts to write, and then what were the most enjoyable parts to write?
1: Ah I can't really say there was any challenging parts
0: to write.
1: um No, not really. all oh, the bit because once I started writing, as I said. It was as if I was just, DK came in very powerfully with Mm -hmm. his story, And I just, I was just typing. My fingers were flying on the laptop. You know, I was writing, writing, even as I was fighting him and saying to myself, no, go back to Ife, go back to Ife. Ife we want. (laughs) But I just kept writing. And then I said to myself, just continue writing. Just write whatever is coming there. Later on, you can go back and see what you can do. So there was no challenging part. But the most enjoyable part for me, was the meeting of the brothers for the first time inside the forbidden shrine following DK's banishment, you know, mm. w- without spoilers. I can say that I had been waiting for that to happen from the time DK became an outcast Be- because the situation with him and his brother, it was, I, I-, I was hurting, you know, from what was going on. Yeah. Um, I-, I think also it might come from a personal part because I had two brothers um, who who were loggerheads with each other for a while, and I know when my two brothers were having fights, I was quite hurt by it. And then when they mm. reconciled, it was like, ah, yes, that's better. So writing the story, I was always thinking, oh my gosh, um, I, want to, I want them, I want them, I want them to meet up for the first time. I want them to reconcile. Yeah. <laughs> so that Aww, was the yeah. best thing for me. <laughs>
0: Oh, that like little therapeutic too. Like you just want to like, can we make it happen and then move on? Yeah. Like so, I, like you could get you could once you make that happen, you are like, okay, now we can we can, now we can continue <laughs> with the story. Exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. No, that's and I what did. you said. It
1: was therapy. Do you know you used the right word? It yeah, was therapy yeah, for
0: me. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, I could see that too, and I love that because I did enjoy their relationship, and I could totally. You could definitely like get the bond like through the page, like no matter what. And that's why part of me was like so heartbroken for them that um, they found themselves in these circumstances, which is like, it wasn't a small thing. Like this was like a big deal in their (laughs) community. What happened? And it was heartbreaking. And then. You know, that's what I was just rooting for them the rest of the way. I was like, "Come on!" <laughs> <laughs> Do
1: you know I got that when I read your review? I said to myself, "She got it. It connected with that. She said it. She was rooting for them." Yeah, was. I wanted, yeah, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah. And I, yeah, well, I mean, you you made it easy, but I, I'm that, I'm that type of reader who's like. You know, I'll I'll act like it's it's real life almost. I'm like, what what are you doing? What is this person doing? You know, like, <laughs> or I'll straight or up be like, like your, okay. You,
1: you like your happily ever afters. You don't like the, um, the,
0: the yeah, yeah, like exactly. And the more you know, yeah, I I definitely get in tune with the characters. I I get invested easily. I guess you could say I get engaged. And so yeah, I was like. It's like, well, how how are they going to figure this out? You <laughs> know, like, come on, yeah. come on, guys, like you're almost there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> let's give you a conflict you'll have to figure out.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's but the, hey, that's that's how you make it more interesting. That's how you add layers and to exactly. the development. Mm-hmm. What do you hope readers get out of um the story about Dance for the Dead? Um. Well,
1: first. I want my readers to enjoy *A Dance for the Dead* as a great horror story, even if I say so myself. Yeah, you know, I wrote mm. it myself, right? <laughs> so it's a great horror story. So yeah. you know, I, I want them, I want my readers, you know, as you said, um, to appreciate, uh, you know, the the, the brothers, their, their 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 conflicts and everything, and to know that true horror has no boundaries, you know, mm. and a great horror story can come from anywhere and everywhere and still entertain despite the differences in culture and settings and beliefs. I mean, you said that horror is not your thing, yet somehow you, you've you never read anything like that, and yet somehow you connected with it, Megan, and that mm-hmm. really touched me, you know. And so I'm hoping my readers would sort of, if they had this blind prejudice about where horror should come from, let yeah. them just say, no, this is a new regional horror, just like Korean or Japanese or Scandinavian or Latin American horror. Sure, this yeah. one is coming from Africa. Open your mind, horror is horror, it knows no boundaries, you can enjoy the good story. And then yeah. secondly, I want them to appreciate that first and foremost, a Dance for the Dead is a work of supernatural fiction. A lot of stuff written in it doesn't happen in African communities today. Mm-hmm. You know, the story is set at a very early period in history when many terrible social ills, you know, such as human sacrifices and cannibalism happened. You know, just yeah. like in Europe and across the globe, you know, in their early development. So I right. say this because I've had some readers in the days when I used to have a website, before I closed my website, they would ask me for help with Juju magic to help their enemies or their boyfriends amongst <laughs> some other weird stuff I used to get, weird messages I used to get because they forget they are reading fiction when they read my stories.
0: Oh, my so, goodness.
1: I just say to readers, please just enjoy the story at Face and connect. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't happen. It's all fiction most of the time. <laughs>
0: you know? Oh, my gosh. No, like... is weird.
1: It's freaky. I used to call my daughters and say, just look at this email. Look at what this person is just asking me here. You know, oh, my gosh. Crazy? You know, You're like no, like, I'm
0: not gonna ha- become an accessory to this crime. Like, what? <laughs> yes, I won't. I'm not
1: giving you anything to make your boyfriend, you know, leave his girl, leave the girl he's seeing. I'm not oh doing my anything gosh. like that. Thank you very much. You know, <laughs> so, finally, finally, I- 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 as we were just talking about the dance for the dead, it explores that you know that it explores that vile humiliation of the of caste system we are talking about, you know, and uh-huh. its practice around the world. So it explores it within a fixed supernatural context. So I, without having a messiah complex, I'm just hoping that my readers will appreciate the value of equality and respect our individual differences and honestly confront our prejudices because we are all prejudiced. Mm. No matter how much we lie to ourselves, we all harbor one prejudice or the other. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, if by reading this, as Michael Jackson said, you know, look at the man in the mirror and make a change. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if by reading that, if you, you are someone, maybe the African community or the Asian community where this is practiced and you read it, then at least you can say to yourself, stuff the culture that sanctifies this. You know, mm-hmm. I don't care about the culture. I won't be a part of it. I'll do my little bit to, you know, destroy this horrible practice so those mm. are the three things I'm hoping my readers will get from the book
0: that's mm. awesome I enjoy that too that how you make a point where yeah it's it's there's horror stories from all over and from all from generations like far back it why wouldn't other cultures and other time periods have have exactly. horror stories ghost stories too yeah and yeah, I, yeah it's like you're absolutely right just um horror the horror genre can offer you know there are so many stories so many ways that you can go with it and it's like yeah absolutely other cultures would have 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 something to tell too yeah
1: because you're learning aren't you you're learning about them you're learning about their culture you're learning about their you know their their monsters their 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 law their folklore everything that makes them it's a new experience even while you're enjoying a good horror story
0: yeah, absolutely. And I, I did. I, I enjoyed it. Um, yeah, it was different for me, but I, I was pleasantly surprised because, yeah, like I said, I didn't know what to expect and yeah. horror. I'm usually kind of like, uh, you know, but this, it was, it was really enjoyable and, and really entertaining and. Um, I, I always like checking out something a little, you know, a little different. So it was different. cool to, yeah, it was cool to get like this little subcategory in the genre, like kind of crossed off my, my list. So I <laughs> thought it was, I thought it was very cool. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so just a few more questions. All right. So what advice would you give to DK, Ife and Big Bosom?
1: Well, my advice to DK, uh, the warrior prince, would be the same I would give to every soldier out there serving their countries. Don't follow orders blindly. Let Mm. your conscience and your humanity guide you, even in the dearest of circumstances. So using the excuse of following orders when committing atrocious crimes will Mm. never exonerate you from culpability and the moral responsibility, and ultimately karma, you know, um, I mean, you went to visit that place you went to in Germany. Yeah. And you think of the soldiers and the people who were involved in perpetrating that evil, evil crime. Mm-hmm. And you say to them, you you had a mind, you were humans, you, you had a conscience, but you decided to obey others blindly. So yeah. when we see the things that D.K. did under being a warrior, just obeying others blindly, I would say to him, don't, you know, mm-hmm. be guided. Uh, for Ife, my advice is simple: don't drink. Period. <laughs> I mean, mate, you just can't hold your drink, and you make yeah. terrible decisions <laughs> under the influence. You know. <laughs> so I would just say to that poor guy: avoid the demon drink. You know, the, some people can not hold their liquor. You can't.
0: Right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like if you don't, if you don't know how to slow down, then maybe it's just it's yeah. like. Stop altogether. <laughs> stop
1: altogether. Exactly. He did try yeah. to stop, you know. Uh, you know, he, he he did his best. Blame him.
0: Bless him. Yeah.
1: He... <laughs> <laughs> and as for Big Bosom, um, who is the girl between them, my advice to her would be just keep fighting, girl, you know, be a thinking, rebellious woman in this patriarchal and sexist community you find yourself, you know, which is full of challenges. And you just mm-hmm. need to stay strong and stay the course because hers isn't an easy journey, you know, Yeah, mm-hmm. she lives in the community. She lives uh, the the way she's treated, but she has a very feisty spirit, a very a fighting spirit, which I, I'm saying to her, just, you know, stay strong, keep the course, you know,
0: mm-hmm. keep going. Yeah. I, I appreciated her <laughs> for sure. And I, she, I was also, I couldn't help but root for her either. Cause it, it was just like, <laughs> like, she, yeah, you could tell she was like, on the right path but she just kept it was very difficult for her like it was because because of the men in her life i felt for Mm -hmm. her it was like yeah exactly like just keep going just (laughs) keep keep doing what you're doing
1: (laughs) i wanted everyone to root for her as well yeah
0: (laughs) what's next for you are there any other um projects that you're working on that you could talk about
1: yeah, I mean, apart from currently promoting a dance for the dead, mm. I'm trying to complete um, a novella, which is this African Wild, Wild West combination. Um, I know it sounds weird. It doesn't, it looks like something that won't match. Um,
0: Bring <laughs> African,
1: African horror into the American Wild West. But um, it, 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 it's, it's, it, it's, a, it's a weird one, but it's working. We're getting there. I'm almost done with it. <laughs> and uh, I'm also trying to complete another novel, um, which I should, I'm should i supposed to complete by January. So hopefully my readers can look forward to a new African horror thrills uh, next year. And there's also a great, great African horror story coming out in a magazine of fantasy and uh, science fiction uh, next year as well. So, yeah, it's all looking good. And nice.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely have to keep an eye out for all those things. So we got a news ono talking about a dance for the dead. It's available now, so you can go pick that up, check out book review, and oh, do you have like website or you said you shut down your website? Do you have social media <laughs> where people can follow you?
1: Well while Twitter still lasts as long as Twitter, yeah. there, <laughs> on Twitter or Substack. I am most on Substack. So if you go to Substack at Nozorono, you'll find me or Twitter at Nozorono, you'll find me as well. Okay, but if okay. Twitter has gone, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Just buy the book. Buy the right. books.
0: <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Well, thank you so much. This is such a, like I said, I, I really enjoyed the book and I was pleasantly surprised. And yeah, I think um, I really like your writing style. So yeah, I'm definitely gonna see what else you got and add it to my reading list.
1: Thank you so much, Megan. And again, thank you for having me on your podcast.
0: And there you have it. That was Nuzo Ono talking about Dance of the Dead. That book is available now. Um, Check the show notes if you want to buy it. There's a link to purchase the book and also links to her website and social media. If you want to uh, just check out what what else she's got going on. Um, And as always, rate, review, subscribe. It really helps us out. Follow the Nerd Cantina and Cantina Book Club on Twitter and Instagram. And check out the nerdcantina.com for anything that we've got going on. As always, thanks for listening.